WNHHFM's 103.5 Just in Time Conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us in conversations about ideas that matter with people making a difference. Today, our guests are Bruni Pizarro and Jason Velasquez. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Bruni, it is great to have you back on the show. Um, uh, um, this is our 17th show, believe it or not. Um, so I I am very excited to talk with y'all. Um, I wish it was under better circumstances, um, but um, uh, y'all both penned op-ed uh, the other day in the CT Mirror. Um, Five years after Hurricane Maria, CT resettle services still under resource. Um, and so uh, I kind of wanted to, you know, talk with y'all uh, about, um, you know, the situation in Puerto Rico and, and kind of, uh, I'm excited as, as environmentalists, right? To talk about this intersection between resettlement and, and the environment. So, um, I guess the first question, right, important for me before we get into everything, friends, family, are they safe? So for me, my loved ones, I have extended family members um, in Puerto Rico and um, my chosen family. Mm. And uh, and I think my heart also, and they're, they're doing okay. I mean, okay is relative. Mm. Um, and thank you for asking. And um I think that I think this is so and I'm, I think we're all going to talk about this more. But if for me also as a diasporican or a Puerto Rican from the diaspora, um, it, it, it sparks a lot of conversation about his like a historical context of why Puerto Rico is where it's at and why the folks on the state side in the diaspora are where they're at. So it, it, it's just a really interesting transnational um, perspective that is kind of bringing to light all these these issues and this is reoccurring so um, something to think about definitely yeah for sure and uh, thank you for asking Justin very similarly um, extended family and chosen family friends um, cousins uncles um, you know it's uh, doing as okay as they can you know they're for each other um, they're for their community uh, without uh, consistent power which was an issue prior to um, Hurricane Fiona, uh, but just exacerbated by the storm, um, water insecurity and inconsistencies, um, and now flooding. So just, uh, just trying to, to be there for them and, and make sure that they know that we're here. No, I, um, I, uh, I am glad to hear that every, you know, it being hurricane season, my family is from Jamaica. So every time there's a hurricane, I'm just like, right people are like why are you freaking out like why why are you on the weather app so much I'm like relax right <laughs> I'm like I'm worried about family and it's like 
but it's it's fine outside. I'm like, yeah, here, right? Um, so definitely glad to hear that they're okay. Um, I guess you know one of my first questions is just like, what what made y'all decide to you know pen this together? And I I saw the little footnote at the end where you know y'all had to update this because another hurricane happened. So like, what? How did y'all meet? How did you come together? And then how did you go like, you know what? We got to write this. Yeah, Bruni and I met uh, last year um, at a Yale Environment Women's um, Conference panel event. Um, and Bruni was on my list of people that I wanted to meet coming to New Haven. I was a first year student in the Master's of Environmental Science program. Um, and, and my research thesis, um, very personal to me, is all about um, how to you know, connect the Puerto Rican diaspora um, to organizations in Puerto Rico to sort of help with some of that resource distribution through times like this. Um, and Bruni has a reputation at Yale School of the Environment. <laughs> um, so um, every time I started speaking about my research, I was like, you got to meet Bruni, you got to meet Bruni. Um, so when I finally had the chance to, to attend that event and meet Bruni, we, we chopped it up for, for a good half an hour, exchanged numbers. And from there, the rest, the rest, the rest was history. We started um, linking up for, uh, you know, some, some meetings over lunch, over some drinks, so discussing um, and just like collaborating on, on our shared experiences, not only as, you know, Puerto Ricans of the diaspora, but through the School of the Environment, through um, doing a research project that is so timely and also cutting edge. Um, and, and Bruni, did you want to share about our collaboration with the EPC? I mean, when I met Jason, I was like, this is, this is an amazing student at the Yale School of the Environment. There's not many of us, unfortunately, um, in the environment world. And so as soon as I met Jason, who's originally from Jersey, also diaspora Rican, right? I was like, wow, we have a lot of like shared values and his work on Puerto Rico, social networks with the diaspora, I was so intrigued because my own work when I was a master's student at the Yale School of the Environment was similar in some respects, but more localized at Junta and like the work, um, basically how uh, Puerto Ricans were uprooted from Puerto Rico. And once they, they crossed the Atlantic Ocean, what happens to them post-disaster? So there's just a lot of like shared interest that Jason and I had at the outset and everyone, a lot, a lot of people wanted me to connect them. Like you got to meet Jason. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And then finally we're able to do that. And then we just jammed and vibed on so many levels. And to be honest with you, like he, he's been, he's helped me like through so, the social services that we do at Junta. He's helped me kind of bring back the environment world to, to, or the realm to Junta again, and really start reframing what that could look like um, in this era. And it's not just like climate migration, climate, all these fancy words and quote unquote resilience is the word that keeps being passed around. This is like a true lived experience. People are trying to make ends meet day to day and they're surviving and they're theorizing. And I think that that's um, that kind of shared lived experience. Like you, you can't read about it. It's like something that's just like comes on a daily and I think just meeting another diaspora Rican at the school who is a student and me as an alum was just a beautiful like connection. So Jason was like, look, I'm, I, I am taking, or I took a class last semester at the Yale Law School Environmental Protection Clinic. Mm -hmm. 
um, would you want to connect? Because maybe, you know, I think we're going to do it again this semester. Maybe Junta can apply and we can start thinking about topics. So I was like, hey, Jason, one of the things that I feel is important, and we both agree on this, is how do we look at when folks are uprooted from another place, from elsewhere, specifically Puerto Rico, coming to New Haven. We did this five years ago during the Hurricanes Maria and Irma. We're going to see it again. And this is before Fiona hit. We were anticipating this early on. Like we have these conversations probably in July, June, I don't know, throughout the summer, maybe May. I, I feel like it's been, we knew because climate change is real and it's gonna continue to persist that something was gonna happen again. And so, and for me as the executive director of Junta for Progressive Action, I said, wow, we've dealt with COVID. We've dealt with the earthquakes in Puerto Rico in terms of resettlement efforts. If, COVID, if, um, if a hurricane hits, uh, Puerto Rico or somewhere else like now Florida, um, we're going to have to be dealing with cumulative disasters. And so um, we wanted to get ahead of it. And so Jason and I were like, okay, how do we make sure that folks know that Junta is doing environmental work and that organizations like Junta that are typically under-resourced and BIPOC-led, in this case, Latinx-led, how do we make sure that we put those organizations at the forefront so people understand that we're first responders and that resources need to be allocated as such? So then we brainstormed and a bunch of, we're, we're still in the, in the course right now. The students, it's not just Jason, there's about four or five other students who are doing different projects. So more to come, but uh, Jason, what do you think about that? I'm curious to see your, your thoughts as a student and you know your, your sort of texture or, or context regarding um what we've been doing yeah it's it's been great um like Rooney said I, I took uh, the environmental protection clinic at Yale Law School cross-listed at School of the Environment um, I worked on a different project last year um but after meeting Bruni I was like this might be a perfect way to get a New Haven organization in this clinic um to sort of provide that um that extra support um that the students can provide whether it be time you know working on projects uh, that otherwise wouldn't be able to uh, be worked on in the same exact capacity or, or essentially having four interns for a semester um, in a, in a uh, bi-directional relationship where the students are, you know, developing their skills and we're doing ours. Um, so by doing that uh, project description, working through that all summer, uh, a lot of the deliverables we wanted to have were um, public facing to, to sort of cement the um, or set the precedent that like social service work is climate justice work, um, mm. which hasn't really been done. Um, in many cases, or if it has been done, it hasn't been listened to. So we're trying to keep ringing that bell to get people to listen to us and say, look, like we're trying to tell y'all that this is real. We're trying to tell y'all that people are coming to our organizations when they're affected by climate change, not just when they're moving here from other locations. Um, so adding that climate layer was really important. And that's how we got to the op-ed. No, that is, that's beautiful. I think, um, you know, a lot of people don't see see the connections between the two right um and and so i think you know this beautifully leads into the the the, the question that i wanted to ask y'all right um as climate change right ramps up um you know what should be the approach should the approach be focused on uh, uh resettlement uh, of climate refugees or should it be um investment uh in terms of uh 
making more resilient communities. And I, uh, I, um, I, I think every single place, it becomes something very, very, uh, it's very hard um, um, to talk about, like what that looks like, to envision that, right? From like Haiti with the earthquakes, um, where you still have people who have been resettled a decade ago because of the earthquakes, or if you're talking about like as things happen, like Pakistan, right? Like a month ago, like to conceptualize it, like a third of New England, if you took a third of New England, like that's Pakistan, and like a third of that was just underwater in like two days, like cool like how do you replace people or like so yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts your your vision your brilliance right what's the most excellent way to approach this i think we gotta go back to his, his historical context and i know jason you're ace at that um so i'm gonna, I'm gonna lend that to, to to jason not put to put you on the spot but i think we're doing it now in terms of like where we're at right now, what we can control, like what is within the realm of Bruni's possibilities and Jason's possibilities. I don't know, Jason will speak to his, you know, but like our connection, I think is the beginnings because how do I say it? Like Jason is, um, is, is the next, like he's gonna be graduating from the Yale School of the Environment, bringing his lived experience, moving onward. I think it's important for folks like me in my position to lend space to folks like, like students and up and coming emerging environmental leaders to do the thing. And I think just having him on is important. I think that's just an important symbolic um, representation of, it's not just like folks with silver hairs doing the thing, it's folks on the ground, it's folks that are students that have these brilliant ideas and then like we can imagine together and, and really start thinking about that. And I think that's the beginning. So I could speak to that at the moment in terms of like junta where we're at, we're the downstream, the very downstream um, folks that when folks cross the ocean, it's not that it's too late, but the damage and the harm and the disruption has already been done. We're there to pick up the pieces. So, we can do our best to welcome folks. And we have, we welcomed, we saw 2000 individuals. Wow. When hurricanes hit in 2017, 2018, Maria and Irma, we saw 2000 folks come through the doors of Junta. And I just, you know, I just read this like amazing post on Facebook today in the morning. It was shared by Luciana, who is an artist and amazing photographer and a friend. Shout out to Luciana. And it, it was an Audrey, I'm sorry, it was a bell hooks um, quote that said, one of the most vital ways we sustain ourselves is by building communities of resistance, places where we know we are not alone. So like, I would say that that's what Junta does really well is trying to build, rebuild those kind of that community again. But it really starts in the archipelago and and I think Jason, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit more about the upstream impacts, but guess it you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for that transition, Bruni. I think one thing uh, when I initially heard the question uh, brings back Bruni's point of like we have to question the term resilience, right? Like resilient to what? 
And when we, when we question that resilient to what, like, what are we asking people to bounce back from? What are we asking people to relive trauma through? What are we asking people to rebuild after things are destroyed? Um, and when, when we ask those questions, that's where we sort of get to, um, you know, questioning and wondering why our communities aren't built off care, aren't built off love, aren't built off resistance um, in these ways that they need to be to be able to um, to sort of withstand climate change. And it's, it's sad because climate change is is a colonial disaster. I'm going to bring up that word very early. Um, climate change is not just because, you know, everybody's driving cars. It is manufactured by colonialism and the forced extraction of people and the forced extraction of resources um, and goods to colonial metropoles like the United States, like places in Europe. Um, you said and so when we- Indonesia? No, at least that part. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, and and so I, when I think about developing or building resilient community, I think it's more about like attacking the systems that force people to be in a place that have to be resilient um, and providing them the resources to be able to do so in a way that's just, that not only provides emergency disaster funding for whenever something happens, um, but also, um, you know, just all the historical backtracking of that money and the reparations to be able to develop those communities even further um, in, in the ways that they envision for themselves. Um, in terms of, you know, investing um, in the states and preparing for climate refugees, it's interesting because there is no like legal framing for climate refugees right now um, in our in written in our law, which is which is sort of the, the, the big challenge. And when you bring in Puerto Rico, um, the, the second class and, and citizenship conversation complicates that a lot um, because there's sort of this assumption that because you have the citizenship that there's more mobility um, to be able to move and that once you come you're going to be all set up because you have citizenship so you're okay. Um, and, and that's not really the case if, if we're discussing climate change and climate refugees and, and just displacement of people in general. And if we want to get into Puerto Rican history, even discussing why Puerto Ricans were given citizenship in the first place, so that they can send us all to World War One, you know, um, and, and to continue extracting our, our land and all that. So um, I, I think it's a, it's a really, really balancing question. I think we have to invest in organizations like Wunta, some of the downstream organizations in these hubs that our people know and trust as locations where they can go if something pops off. Clearly that happens to be New Haven, clearly that happens to be Junta, it's Hartford, it's New York, it's DC. Um, it, it's these bigger cities and smaller communities within these bigger cities um, that are there to support people. So being making sure that uh, these organizations that people trust um, are well-resourced is sort of how we go about developing those resilient, resilient if we wanna use that term, uh, communities. No, I, I I couldn't agree any uh, uh, anymore. Um, for yo, for those of y'all who are joining us, right? Uh, you are listening to Just in Time Conversations, WNH, WNHH FM one hundred three point five. I'm your host Justin Farmer. Our guest today, Bruni Pizarro, Jason Velasquez, talking about uh, Puerto Rico resiliency uh, and and climate refugees. Um, I, I think that last part that you you said, Jason, um, is really important of, of highlighting the fact of like there is no precedent in terms of law. Um, history is so so important, and how we contextualize it is so important, and and how we move forward. Uh, but most importantly, like what are we asking people to be resilient to, uh, and come back to? And I think that's something that. Um, 
you know, uh, it, 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 it's a it's a question that we don't really ask ourselves in terms of like how do we rebuild, right? We often think about the physical infrastructure, right? So like energy, right, food, uh, roads, right, but like not, you know, what is a quality of life and how do you get back to that and can you get back to that? Um, you mentioned statehood, Puerto Rico, and so. Um, do you feel right, like if if Puerto Rico had statehood, right? And I'm not gonna get into the politics of, right? I'm like literally fans organizations called Junta, right? So I ain't trying to get into the. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I ain't trying to go down. It's not La Junta though, at least. <laughs> Right. Um, we'll, we'll get into that too, Brody. I got that on my list of things attached. <laughs> but go ahead. Homie, that was named in 1969. So, listen, I don't know. Right disclaimer Junta for Progressive Action is not La Junta. So, nah, <laughs> let's get that out there right now. Um, But I think all to say, right? If this was a state, right? Do we think that? the response would be different. And and I I think some people, you know, for a lack of better words, rest their loins on the 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 idea that like it's not the former president throwing out paper towels to people, right? So it's like, well it's not that, so it's better. And so just from perspective of y'all, like do you feel if this was the state of Puerto Rico, would there be different resources? Would there be a different response? Um, even in dialogue about how we talk about the island, right? Would it be different? I think we can look back at her, Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana as a perfect example of how predominantly Black, low-income folk were treated there. Um, it, it's, you know, that's a state and so uh, think about the treatment of Hawaii, like how Hawaii has built itself, like the, the fact that they've lost their language in many ways. I mean, there's culture, there's people there that still maintain their culture, no doubt. But then that's seen as resistance in some respects too, right? And so, I mean, I don't want to get into those details, but there's comparative, there's definitely comparisons there that we can make and parallels. Um, I think like what, what Jason said, I agree. Colonization is, is something that I think I wouldn't be here in New York, in Connecticut, if it weren't for the fact that folk, my great-grandparents were displaced before hurricanes, before climate change was even a thing. Why? Because there were smallholder farmers and foreign interests and capitalism displaced them from the rural areas, from owning lands, and then they moved to the cities thinking that there was prosperity, propagandas, there's a lot of propaganda, and then of course stateside. So, oh no, no, you know what? move to San Juan, you have a better life. Okay, no, no, move now to New York City to live in substandard housing. That was the American dream. So this is, it's not a simple answer, for, at least for me in terms of its complexity, but I think it's something to really, I, I, I'm always thinking about this question because I'm always now having to connect that back to what disaster, whether it's natural or not natural, which climate change, clearly based on, and I agree with Jason, is not a natural disaster. Mm -hmm. But what was the landscape? Let's interrogate that. Like, what was the landscape that led to this point? And I think Jason has done a great job of painting that landscape. It's true. Like, 
we, you know, we were colonized by Spain before. Let's go back, right? You know, so so yeah, it, it's it's complex. And how how back can we go of how bad this has been? <laughs> Shout out to all the farmers. Um, and y'all yeah. heard it on the record. Bruni said she wasn't trying to be in the cut. No. I'm into the farming, but, but you know what? And then the disaster too is I lost that and that natural that, that like that that ancestral knowledge of the land, right? And connecting with the land because I lived in cities all my life. So mm. it's a trade-off, right? So I mean, that's all. What have we lost? What have we traded? So all the things, and then of course now you have category five in the case of Irma earthquakes hit, hit out, people can't catch a break but what was the landscape like that lent itself to folks being quote-unquote vulnerable or that vulnerability which I question to that language but um yeah thank you Rooney I love that you brought up the, the Spanish colonization as well I feel like a lot of the time when we think about like um or, or when Puerto Rico is discussed it only talks about post-Spanish American war so post or 1898 uh, but if we really want to get into it we go back to when when old boy Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, um, and 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 yeah, yeah, to, to our Taino ancestry. Um, but I, one of the pieces of um, Spanish colonialism that still um, impacts Puerto Rico today is the addressing system, which is really interesting. Um, the addressing systems in, in Puerto Rico aren't aligned with what the U.S. Postal Service sort of does. So even in sort of this this um, emergency resource distribution state, um, they're not always able to get to the locations based on like US postal codes and like the Spanish um, addresses. So that's just a little tidbit of remnants of Spanish colonialism. Um, I wanna go back to the to the question though about state and I'm gonna dig in here because I'm a student. So I am not, I am not hold to any sort of, um, you know, any sort of tongue, tongue being tied in any way. I, <laughs> um, I think the question of whether the response would be different based on this White House lends itself to ask the question of like, why are people even viewing Puerto Rico as a political pawn in this neoliberal mindset? Um, so why do people in the United States feel that they are able to um, have this conversation about whether or not Puerto Rico is a state and if it's a state, is it going to be a blue state so we can have more representation in DC, right? Is, is that the goal? Or when people talk about Puerto Rico and it's like, yeah, we don't have any voting members in Congress, but is that the goal? You know, is the goal to be able to contribute to a system that has continued to oppress our people, to displace our people, to rob our people of the ability to reproduce? If we're talking about, you know, sterilization of, of the ability to cultivate our land, if we're talking about domino and sugar production, you know, there, there's so many different ways that um, that we, we, we can look exactly that we can look at this. And, and even even thinking about would the White House response be different, that's sort of what I'm looking at now. Um, in, in my research is that um, when Biden, the, when the Biden administration just put out their, their, the first map of like where the FEMA dollars were going to go in Puerto Rico, they missed the entire southwest portion of the main island of Puerto Rico. That's where the direct path and the eye wall and the eye went over of Hurricane Fiona. But if you look at the rest of the map, it's all shaded in. Even Vieques is shaded in, which I'm happy because Vieques needs needs that as well. But then in the in the top in the top corner, you see one municipality that was left out. And you know which one it was? It was Loisa. And Loisa is the hub for Afro Boricuas. It's where our, our largest population of Black Puerto Ricans live, and they were intentionally left out of this plan. And we we can also question the Biden administration's 
um, response and the Puerto Rican government's response in sort of, um, you know, providing that information of damage reports to be able to create this map um, that left out that municipality. And Loisa was intentionally flooded because they opened up dams to reduce the flooding in the other um, in the other municipalities nearby, and they were still excluded from that. In the lower, in the southwest corner where, where the eye went over, you know, like Cabo Rojo was also left out. Cabo Rojo has about one of the highest populations of LGBTQ and trans members in Puerto Rico. Like there, there are just so many different levels of identity that we can also overlay on top of the, what the White House today is currently doing with Puerto Rico as an unincorporated territory or as a colony, as I like to call it, you know. Um, so there, there's, there's a lot. A lot to talk about here. You know, I, I think even in, in terms of Puerto Rico and, and, and the status of it, um, there, there is no clear consensus right now in Puerto Rico of what what is um, the option that people prefer. What there is consensus on is the cancellation of the debt, of the colonial debt um, that is, is created by bondholders and, and shareholders. Um, there's, you know, the cancellation of the Jones Act right now. There is a ship off the coast of the southern coast of Puerto Rico that's holding barrels of diesel that cannot get to Puerto Rico because they are waiting for a waiver of the Jones Act um, for this specific ship. Um, for those that don't know, the Jones Act says that any ship that goes between U.S. ports has to be sent to a um, uh, U.S. mainland port or stateside port before being sent anywhere else. In the case of Puerto Rico, it would have to go all the way up to Jacksonville and then all the way back down to Puerto Rico. Um, there's, you know, there's just a, a lot of a lot of different um, of challenges there. And the other thing that we keep saying, La Junta, La Junta, right? Not Junta for progressive action, but La Junta. Um, that, was, that was put in by the PROMESA Act, which was under the Obama administration, right? So even though we had Trump over here tossing paper towels, you have Biden's administration leaving out Afro-Boricuas and the entire path of the storm. You have the Obama administration also implementing PROMESA, um, which was the, the, the fiscal control um, of Puerto Rico that pretty much uh, is divesting in all of the public infrastructure. The energy is privatized. The, the hospitals are, you know, not, not at capacity or are not being funded at capacity as they need to be. Um, teacher pensions are being wiped away as every schools are being closed. Like all of this is, is related to, to the PROMESA Act and, and the Fiscal Control Board, which is also known as Junta. And guess what? FEMA management and FEMA funds also get controlled through this board. So it's like, if you're thinking about whether or not Puerto Rico should be a state, you just have to like read all of this first um, and listen to the people in Puerto Rico. I really don't think that anybody in the state should really have an opinion about this other than supporting the voices in Puerto Rico. And I find myself, even as a diasporican, um, I have my views, which is, is, is to not complete the colonial project um, and, and to not morph into the colonial metropole. But um, at the end of the day, like my, my positionality here is to uplift the voice and to make other diasporicans aware and other people aware of all of the colonial issues. No, I, um, I uh, you know, it's so much of what you said, right? Like I think about the fact that the former uh, uh, capital of Jamaica is Spanish town, right? And Spanish town still has a lot of influence. It's like, hmm, why is Spanish town? Right. Oh yeah, Spain colonized us, and then the English came in. Like, oh yeah, um, I, I, I think so much of what you said, right? Like we, we can't really have a foreign opinion, um, because we're not on the ground, and we can have thoughts and opinions about how that looks, um, but 
what normality looks like and what liberation looks like for us may be different. Um, um, and so completely agree with you there. Seeing that you touched on it, right? Because um, I'm not beholden to the institution. Um, uh, Yale, Puerto Rican debt, um, right? Um, uh, and, and right in, in the Jones Act. And so I, I guess, you know, I think you kind of said it, but if there's any further thoughts of like, you know, debt is not a real thing, right? It's extraction. Um, but if those the, those barriers were not there, um, would there be a different level of resiliency or would there be a different level of uh, 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 um, expediency, right, to, to, to aid to the Puerto Rican people if those barriers weren't there, particularly the Jones Act and, you know, people holding debt of a country for profit. Yeah, I'll hop in and then Bruni, I'll give you some space. I know I've been taking up a lot of time here. <laughs> um, but I, I think we can we can first go back to what happened after Hurricane Maria when the Jones Act was um, sort of put on pause for 10 days, um, even though the power was out for over a year. But the only reason why the Jones Act, even in that situation, was repealed was because of Hurricane Harvey and Texas oil which Hurricane Harvey happened a few weeks after Hurricane Maria or a week after hit Houston, had a lot of devastating impacts there. They didn't give a damn about Puerto Rico and the Jones Act until it happened to affect Texas oil and gas. Um, so I think the Jones Act, yes, it, it would be a way to, to allow for, for Puerto Rico to, um, to, to allow ships into those ports. And I think it would definitely allow for um, the influx of those goods as well. But I also think we have to, to lend that piece of like, how are community-based organizations then being sort of connected to these goods coming off the ships and who, who is then doing the distribution of that goods? Because if the goods come in and they go to the Puerto Rican government, it's gonna be a huge bottleneck and nobody's gonna see those, nobody's gonna see those sources um, or, or those resources. And, and same thing, you know, with the debt, as you mentioned, the debt was made up. Like, how do you, how do you extract people, resources, land, from a nation and then say, oh, by the way, you also owe us because what we stole from you is not producing enough for us to make it profitable, you know? Um, so I'll leave it up to Bruni and see what Bruni has to say, but but those are my pieces on the debt and the Jones Act. Cancel both of them, by the way. Which is why I appreciate Jason because he breaks it down so clean. Um, and I'm always in awe and I love our conversations because um, it's, it's always good to see how nuanced this is too, right? Um, I'm more, working more so in the diaspora, doing the day-to-day -day social services work for not just Puerto Ricans, but those that are undocumented, anyone who's struggling, people who have been here. Our team is always on call in terms of like uh, the work that we do uh, to support folks, whether you're Latinx or not. Um, but in terms of how I'm seeing how colonization sort of starts to, I don't know, colonize the mind. Like I just remember my pop's generation, he lived through the civil rights era. So there was people on in the archipelago at the time. I mean, I would say the independence movement was like, don't quote me on this, but about two, 3% like of, of folks that were pro-independent according to the data back then. And then the rest were, I don't know, either pro-colonization, pro-colonia, um, whatever, and then pro-statehood, right? And so they were the minority of the minority and they were seen as communists. 
they were seen as they would throw bottles at them in the Puerto Rican Day Parade, the largest uh, parade, I think, in the country, uh, in New York City, I should say, the Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York City. And so there was like this stigma of being associated with the independence movement. God forbid you're a communist, right? Comunista, you're, you know, Fidel, you know? And, <laughs> and so where, whereas those people, for whatever, you know, I can't generalize all the folks in, in that movement, but they really just wanted liberation for themselves and for their people. So I, I think about that. And then I think about what they would say, like they would say, despierta boricua. Wake up, Puerto Rican, Boricua, like, let's wake up. Come on, levántate. And what does that mean now is the question I'm asking myself. What does that mean in this context? When folks have been battered by storms repeatedly, battered by the gentrification that's happening in the island, battered by the infrastructure that's deplorable, um, constantly battered. And so um, is there a real awakening? when I was in, in the during like the 80s and 90s, when I would hear about the conversations, then you would hear a lot of people saying, you know, we're good, things are good. What can we do without the United States' help and support? I don't, I don't know how we're gonna manage. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, now I'm seeing now more with like, you know, you have Bad Bunny bringing it out into the main stage, which I appreciate uh, in terms of his, you know, just like his whole perspective, how he leverages um, how he leverages his platform to really speak about certain issues on, in the archipelago. Um, but like really thinking about beyond that, I mean, there's work on the ground in the diaspora. There's work, I mean, he's just one of the many people doing that work, right? Um, but in thinking about the youth protesters, the, the thinking about the, the massive protests that like basically um, dethrone uh, Rosselló, Governor Rosselló, I think in 2018, 2019, I'm sorry if I, my dates are wrong, but that, that's like really, that's an awakening there. And I think it first starts with this like, and Jason alluded to it or talked about it, is like really thinking about how do you, uh, you know, like for lack of a better term, but decolonize yourself and really start thinking about new ways. How, do, how can could the communities on, on the archipelago and even here, second, third generation folk really start thinking about how do we get our folks to really start thinking about a new way when there's like existing pressures and forces for the status quo to continue because people benefit from that, whether you're Puerto Rican or not. And yeah, I would love to add like on to that, that me too. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would love to add on to that. Um, you know, I think one, one thing that I, um, that I sort of build like my power on or, or fuels my energy here in, in La Diapura is like just um, like all of the movement, like you mentioned, like the Rosario protests um, and now they're calling some of the same for Piluisi. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but I think like just just like the pure like grit and ability to to, to protest and, and um, go out with the bomba, right? And the pots in the pans and, and make it like a cultural moment is something that we also hold true here in La Diapura. We, we try to pay homage to that in, in certain ways as well. Um, I, I love that you brought up the independence conversation too, Bruni, you know, um, I think when we have that, that conversation, a lot of people view it through like the Puerto Rican Status Act, which is being drafted right now, which will provide the three different options of statehood, independence, um, and free associated, free sovereign associated state. Um, 
But then you have to question whether or not independence can come at the will of the colonizer, right? Like, is it independence if you're granted independence? And then if you're granted, are you given all, all your back payments for all the stuff that was stolen? Um, even relating back to the conversation. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Bring oh. it all back. Bring it all back. May, may she rest somewhere. You know, may she rest somewhere. Um, I, I think going back to the statehood conversation, I think there will be some people who will say, oh, but there, there was a vote in 2020 that 52% of people said that they wanted yes for statehood. And I, I want to dispel that before that, those comments and, and those people are bringing the question. Uh, number one, the question was asked in a way that said, do you want statehood? Yes or no. So there was no other option but statehood. Um, the other thing was, although it was 52% yes, it was only 48% of the entire electorate. So you have less than half the percent of people who are able to vote, um, even in Puerto Rico, voting 52% yes. So that's only 20 something percent of the entire population that we're breaking it down that way. If I did my math right, I don't know, it's been a while. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, it's like, how, how can we even do that? You know, Bruni? I love that you brought up too, like the, the independence movement in La Diapora too, like even thinking about the gag law when it was illegal to fly the Puerto Rican flag during those key like um, years of, of, of independence and that Puerto Rican nationalism there. And then people always wonder why Puerto Ricans love, especially New Yorkans love their Puerto Rican flag. You know, like I have maybe three or four pairs of sneakers with Puerto Rican flags on them. Like I have the flag hanging in my window from my car. Like I, I will never leave my house without a Puerto Rican flag somewhere on my body. And I think it all relates back to this like, Puerto Rican nationalism, like this, this in-depth or this ingrained history of, of being connected to the archipelago and movements that are going on there. Um, and, and when we start to think about it that way, you know, like the youth in PR, like when I was down there a few, few months ago over the summer, I was connecting with my friends, I was connecting, you know, with organizations like youth in PR, they got it, you know, like, like, I think that's the other piece in, in the, in the La Diapora, like, like there are people who have conversations like, oh, we need, we need to make sure Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico know X, Y, like they got it. Like they know what's going on. They're the experts of their experience. And we just need to be here to amplify that. Um, so uh, yeah, Bernie, I appreciate you bringing up all those points. And this is why having folks from Puerto Rico or from the diaspora speaking about like their or our own narrative and how we contextualize it I mean, you could see the nuances even in our conversation. Jason goes deep into some awesome things that, I mean, schools mean often. And I'm just like, oh, okay, good. Like, this is important for us to have these conversations and really start um, affirming that and rewriting or affirming our own histories and our own thinking um, and our own narratives, really, so that we can start, bring, bring, like Jason said, amplifying it versus if someone else tells our story, which has been the case so for as, years. As we come towards the uh, end, which uh, I'm always upset, the end comes so fast. Uh, um, I, I think, right, two, um, two, two questions. How do we help, right, the people of Puerto Rico, right? How do we help with uh, 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 elements of resettlement? Uh, how and better yet, right? How do we be in solidarity with people in Puerto Rico? Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, my favorite question is always just like, what's the song, right? Um, so I know you shared it with, so I'll share it after, right? You you answer that, but I want to make sure people know how to connect and how to to you know help our community members, right? And I say our community members in the sense that. We are a global community, right? 
um, um, divorced of religion, um, histories, right, um, ancestries, right, where we are one people. And so in that sense, how do we best support uh, the Puerto Rican people? I would say from a junta perspective, we're preparing ourselves for what's to come with disaster resettlement. So very local, very Connecticut, very New Haven. Um, so if anybody wants to donate to junta locally, um, again, in the diaspora, uh, our email, I'm sorry, our website is junta, J-U-N-T-A-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Um, but in terms of the archipelago, um, I have one organization that's stellar that's been leading the environmental like sustainability movement for years is Casa Pueblo. Um, I'm a big fan of Casa Pueblo. Um, I will say that um, I will say that Junta, and I think the beautiful part of potentially like uh, Jason's research is that you know, the social networks between the archipelago and Connecticut or the diaspora is so important. And I think we've been so busy as an organization doing the work here, once folks arrive, that we haven't had those strong networks, unfortunately, um, with Puerto Rico, so that we can be like sister organizations, if you will. Um, and so I think that that's one good thing that I'm excited about to hear more about so that we can continue to expand our networks. And I think Jason has been doing that work and really trying to understand what, what the landscape looks like there um, so we can support. For sure. I will uh, echo Bruni. If you're trying to you know, help out more locally, make sure you go to juntainc.org, juntainc.org. Um, if you're trying to help out with some Hurricane Fiona response, you can visit fionareponse.org, F-I-O-N-A. R-E-S-P-O-N-S-E dot org. Um, that is sort of like a collection of organizations, of community-based organizations um, and mutual aid groups that have formed a collective fund uh, to be able to pool money and then distribute to community members. Um, Casa Pueblo is also great. And, and the social networks are really important. I want to touch on one last piece before we wrap up here. Just like make sure you're also supporting uh, all of our other Caribbean nations as well, right? Like a big piece of this uh, Puerto Rican like nation building piece is also by developing pan-Caribbeanism, making sure that you're there for DR and their recovery in Cuba right now with Hurricane Ian, um, Grenada as well from, from Fiona before, and also the other U.S. colonies. I know Guam is going through it right now, so make sure that you also read into and support Guam and Hawaii and, and all of the, the, the struggles for, for, for nation building there as well. Um, and I can, I can end with my song and then pass it back to Bruni if that works, Justin. Thanks, thanks. All right, if, if you have some time later on today, go on YouTube and look up El Alpagón by Bad Bunny. It's a 20 minute music video that also highlights an amazing house song, but it also touches on a lot of the colonial pieces as well and highlights some Puerto Rican journalism by Bianca Grau, um, who, who's also very, a, a big staple right now on social media. So definitely check out that song by Bad Bunny on YouTube. And Bruni, you shared with me, uh, Harvey for the Riff Raff uh, Palante, um, and so definitely, um, definitely Palente is a song that they'll be uh, swerving to on the one wheel. Um, I want to thank y'all so much uh, for coming out um, and, and definitely would love to follow up being community because uh, there's so much more to talk about. Um, to uh, our wonderful guests, 
thank you uh, for connecting with us today on Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. Thank you to our guests, Jason Velasquez, Bruni uh, Pizarro. Thank you once again for for being in community with us. Let's continue, right, to plant the seeds of change so we can grow together. Thank you.